Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Start with you standing. It's a tradition here that we honor, thank you, that we honor and reverence the Word of God by standing as we read it, as we begin each sermon. I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1, starting in verses 26 through 28, which we've been doing for a while now. And then I'm going to include one verse from um, chapter 2 as well, because I want you to be able to see that as we talk about trusting God today. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then from chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us. We thank you for creating us. We pray that we can live life to the fullest the way that you have made us to. And God, forgive us when we trust our own plans, when we trust our own schemes, our own agendas, our own ideas more than yours. God, steer our hearts back to you and the direction you would have us go. God, help us to go in the strength we have and obey. God, give us greater faith. Trust is not always easy, but God, we want to trust you. We trust you. It is in Jesus' name that every promise is yes and amen. And we offer this prayer. And the church said together, amen. You may be seated. Welcome to week five in our Created Four series. Throughout this series, we've been discussing identity and purpose, what we've been created for. We're looking at the story of creation and saying, okay, God, what have you made us for? Last week, we talked about work, how God made Adam and and put Adam in the garden to care for it, to preserve it to take care of it. And immediately we see today, after giving him that vocation, God gives Adam a command. He says, now there's one tree 
that you may not eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just like that, Adam is called by God to trust. He's called to trust God that whatever that tree has to offer is not worth it. Okay, he is, he is immediately called to trust God. We have been created for trust in God. Uh, there, there's a pastor, Ashley Cross, and, 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 and she said this. She said, trusting God means giving God a yes. I like that sentence. Trusting God means giving God a yes. And that means when it's easy to say yes, we say yes. And when it's difficult to say yes, we still say yes. yes. When the way is easily discerned or hard to find or even seemingly impossible to understand, we say yes. When we trust God, our answer to God should be yes. Now, trusting God, that God knows more about me than me, is so much harder than it should be. So, one of the things I do that most of you know is I create board games that people don't want to buy or play. Someone has to, and I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> these are my people right here. Uh, yeah, but, but I, I make board games, and, and, and what I love is when we take these board games to conventions, and we're showing the board game to people, and they're playing it, and they're testing it, and they're telling us what they love and what they don't love. My favorite thing that happens, and this is kind of some irony, is when someone starts telling me that I've got the rules wrong <laughs> of the game that I made and wrote the rules for. And they'll say, no, 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 that's not how it works. This is what happens. And I'm kind of looking at them like, but I made it. Like, you, you can't know better than me what's supposed to happen in the same way. Sometimes I'm looking at my life and saying, God, you don't understand me very well. I'm made like this. You're calling me here, but I'm made over here. And my creator looks at me and says, are you telling me that you know more about you than I know about you? I made you. Right? We have to be careful about that. And that's, that's trusting God. Now, when I think of learning how to trust God, the story that came to my mind as, as, as I prepared this was from the book of Judges in chapter 6. And this is the story of Gideon. The book of Judges and chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Let me give you a little backstory while you're getting there. God's people, Israel, are being repeatedly invaded and plundered by some of their enemies. If you're an avid Bible reader or you're familiar with the story of Judges, you might know that it's the Midianites that are coming in, and every time there's a harvest, the Midianites swing into town, bully them and say, give us your lunch money, take away all of the food from the harvest, and then beat it. And Israel is left with nothing but hurt feelings, maybe a black eye and a fat lip, 
and no food. And so this has been happening for so long that they've just come to expect it. All right, so this is how we find our story beginning today. So chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He's threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I read that twice, but I want to make sure y'all get it. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, I want to make sure that you are good scholars of the Bible. You are good students of Scripture. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about this that you may not know. That the the wine press is not normally where you would go to thresh wheat. Do you know what you would normally do in the wine press? That's right. I don't want anyone to get lost. The wine press is used for pressing wine. Not usually for threshing wheat. So what's going on here? Gideon is hiding because if he's threshing wheat, what does that mean? They've harvested wheat. And if the harvest is here, what do they know is about to happen? Midian's coming in. The bully's going to take everything they have. So he's tried to take his money, his wheat, and he's going to go and hide a little bit. I'm going to tuck my chain in. He is... He is as, that was a different reference. Um, and, so, and so he's, <laughs> yeah, so, so he's going to hide in the wine press to thresh a little bit of wheat. I got to be honest, if Gideon had a chance to tell the author, when you tell my story, start with me here. It would not be this image. When you tell my story, try and start it as cowardly as possible. Start with me scared and hiding. Here's what I think about Gideon, though. What's he doing in hiding? He's he's threshing wheat. He's trying to be productive while he's in hiding. Ooh, Dwayne, we have started preaching now. Gideon is trying to be productive while he's still in hiding. I don't know if we have any souls here today who have done this or tried to do this, that we we try to keep our faith something hidden, but we're trying to be productive. He's, He's trying to be productive while he's hiding. And while he's hiding... The angel of the Lord shows up to talk with him. When the angel of the Lord appeared, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) Greetings, mighty warrior. Now, oh man, mighty warrior is not the words you might think of if you're someone hiding from the big bully who's going to come around. Here's what I learned from that. Our actions don't always line up with who God created us to be. 
and yet God still sees in us what we cannot see in ourselves. He's hiding, but God sees in Gideon, a mighty warrior, and God can see in him what he doesn't see in himself. And so God greets him, greetings, mighty warrior. Now, I love Gideon's response in verse 13. He says, pardon me. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord was with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Gideon sees with his natural eyes all of the ways that things have gone wrong. And he can't help but ask God why God has let all of this mess happen in the first place. He doesn't question if God is real. He simply asks the angel, hey, if what is what you're claiming actually the case? Maybe you've been there. If God is with me, then why is my heart broken? If God is with me, then why did I lose my job? I wasn't even the person doing anything wrong. If God is with me, why did they die? If God is with me, why did I get hurt? How can all of this be happening and God be doing nothing? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. This is wild. God believes that Gideon had everything in him already to be the mighty warrior that he called him to be. Go in the strength you have. God believes he's already got it in there. And I'm thinking if I'm Gideon at this point I might be like, well maybe just a couple of TED Talks. A little bit of training, maybe a certification program. That way I have a little bit of a, a resume that I can be like, hey, no, 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 I've been to the program. Like, we're good. He said, no, you've got it. Go on. I want you to go in the strength you have and save them. Am I not sending you? In other words, the big certification you need is that I said go. Pardon me, my Lord. Oh, second time. Gideon has started politely with, pardon me. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Here's what's amazing about Gideon at this point. Gideon doesn't even agree with God. And yet he's still willing to go because God says, I'm with you. 
Gideon doesn't even agree with God, says, uh-uh, I'm not the guy. God says, I'm with you, and Gideon goes. Doesn't even agree with God, and yet chooses to trust God so long as God is with Gideon. All right. So having looked at the story of Gideon, I want to talk about five things I've learned about trusting God. The first one is this. The trustworthiness of God is at the center of every attack from the enemy. The trustworthiness of God is what's being undercut. If the enemy can get us to distrust God... He's poisoning the very core of our faith. Here's why. You can never fully love someone you don't trust. Because trust, intimacy requires trust. And if I don't trust God, I can't fully love God. So everything the enemy, the devil, is doing in your life is to try and attack God's trustworthiness in your mind. When we choose to trust God, we are dangerous to the enemy. I want want the devil to look at this church and think we're dangerous. I I want the devil to look at this church and think, those people trust him so much, I'm scared of what they can do. And so, do we really believe that God is with us? Do we really believe that God is for us? Well, if God is with us and God is for us, then what can stop us? The entirety of God's story from beginning to end, from the garden to Gideon to Jesus to the end, has now been God trying to restore us to a relationship of trustworthiness. Amen. That's, that's what's happening in the story. Second thing I've learned about trust is that we fail to trust God when we become too concerned about ourselves. Trusting God requires self-denial. When we fail to trust, we are usually choosing ourselves over God. Like Adam and Eve, we make ourselves the center of the universe. Even though they were made in God's image, okay, there's a lot in that sentence. Even though they were made, they were not the creators, And they were made in God's image, which kind of is the hint that God is at the center of everything. They try to be at the center of everything. Think of of what happened when, when they took the fruit. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. When they take the fruit, they were given a rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When, when, when the serpent comes in to tempt Eve, what is the temptation? If you eat it, you'll... 
be like God. Now, here's the crazy part, Kevin. This is wild. She bore the image of God already. She was already like God. And somehow, despite the fact that she had everything, that, that Adam had everything, they try to get more. But if you're already bearing the image of a perfect God, the only thing more to get is what's not perfect. The devil didn't really lie. He just delivered on a really bad deal. And so their minds became filled with all kinds of evil, all kinds of sin and wickedness that they weren't made for. Because they failed to trust God. Now, I may struggle to trust myself. But what I'm here to tell you today is you can always trust in God. Third thing. Sometimes we have to trust God with our hearts despite our minds. As we saw with Gideon, trusting, with, trusting in God's plan does not mean you always agree with God while you trust God's perfect plan. Now, God's perfect plan is easy to say, and it's even got a little bit of alliteration to make you feel like you're being more spiritual. It's God's perfect plan. Here's what I've learned about God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan is not painless, is not easy, is not financially beneficial much of the time, is not comfortable, is not popular, and sometimes is not even logical. You say, that's a little bit difficult for me to swallow. Adam, well, just go ahead and keep reading about Gideon. He's going to say, take your army, go. Okay, how many are in my army? I want you to narrow it down a little bit. How far? I want you to cut it in about 10%. I I need you to get 10% of what you started with. No, as a matter of fact, I need you to drop down to 300. That'd be best. If you had 300 dudes, you'll be fine. There's no way if you're going into battle, you think, yeah, let's thin the numbers. The last thing we need is enough soldiers. Right? It doesn't even sometimes make sense. It doesn't seem safe. And sometimes our minds have to play catch up with what our heart has already decided to do. We trust God with our heart even when our minds are still playing catch up. So we pray, God, you know all things. Give me the strength and the courage to trust what you have chosen for me. You made me, and you know what I can handle. You know what I need. So, God, let me trust you with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Fourth, when we lack trust in God, we take dangerous shortcuts. Because God will take us through the the trouble. We don't want to go through the trouble, so we try to take a shortcut that ends up being much more dangerous. Imagine if Christ had decided to take a shortcut 
and not go through the cross. The devil offered him one. All the kingdoms of this world. He said, I'll make you king. You, you don't have to die. I can make you king without the cross. What would the outcome be? Everyone would be hopeless. Everyone would be lost. When we, when we lack trust in God, we take dangerous shortcuts. You see, I try to take shortcuts so I can skip the parts I don't like, so I can skip the hard stuff. But here's what I've learned. God is not wasting anything in your story. Okay? This is not a club that necessarily you want to brag about, but I'm a part of the Really Rough Childhood Club. All right? Our... The nuclear family I was born into was nuclear, but not in the good way. It exploded, fell apart, went all the wrong directions. There was all kinds of things that were happening that were sinful and wrong. There was abuse. There was nothing good. There was not, not nothing. God was making good, but boy, when I was in it, it was hard. And what I've learned about my life is God did not waste a single moment of that rough childhood. I didn't understand what God was doing, but God didn't waste a single bit of it. God is not wasting anything in your story. And this truth anchors us in hope even during the hardest times that God uses everything for my good. And God will call you out of environments where you feel more comfortable and familiar. Moses. Well, God, but I stutter, and, and, and I, have a, I have a past. I mean, nothing, nothing too wild. I killed a man, as it, as it happens. <laughs> Please take someone else. And God says, I know your mouth. I know your past. And I also know that I've been preparing you for this moment. When Moses dies, Joshua is, 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 is called by God to take over. And Joshua says, but I'm not Moses. I'm no Moses, trust me. And God says, I know that. Boy, Moses was great, wasn't he? You should have seen him. I did see him. God, he was awesome. Yeah, he was. But what I need you to know is that I've been preparing you for this moment, Joshua. Not to be Moses, to be yourself. But I've been preparing you for this moment. Gideon, I'm a nobody. I'm scared. I know that, Gideon, but I also know that I've been preparing you for this moment. Esther, but I'm not the kind of person God usually uses. I know, but you're more gifted than the people I usually use. Even more, I know that I've been preparing you for this moment. Samuel, I didn't even recognize your voice, God. I know, but you heard me nonetheless. And I know that I've been preparing you for this moment. David, out back in the field, too small to even be considered a potential leader. Elisha, behind his plow in the middle of nowhere. Ruth, the young widow. Boaz, the old single guy. <laughs> Jacob, the crook. Esau, the angry. 
Jeremiah the depressed, Amos the unqualified, Ezekiel the flat out weird. You can read it. God says, I know who you are. I know that I've prepared you for this moment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he said he'd kill us. I know that he'll try. But I need you to know that I've prepared you for this moment. Peter, Andrew, James, John. We've got a list of shortcomings. I know. I chose you. And I've prepared you for this moment. Matthew, Thomas, Bartholomew, Judas. I know you. And I've prepared you for this moment. Adam, Vincent, Rutha, Brad, I know you, and I've prepared you for this moment. Mark, Sophie, Angelo, Dee Dee, I know you, and I've prepared you for this moment. You don't have to like God's call. You don't even have to be comfortable with God's call. But you have to stop and ask yourself, do I trust God's call? Besides, we might be more comfortable than we need to be. This brings me to the last one that I know about trust. This is a great landing place, man. This is great. This, this gave me so much hope. Okay, the more I thought about it, the more I think about it, the more hope I get. And so I, I pray that you hear the gospel that's, that's, in this, that's in this last point. Here we go. God is worth trusting because God cannot sin against us. God cannot make a mistake. So who better to trust? Most every other person in your life, especially if they get close to you, will sin against you. They they may not intend you great harm, but they're going to let you down. They're going to be human. Most every other person in your life will sin against you, but God is unable to sin against you. And yet somehow I have trouble trusting God. I think it's his invisibility. But do you remember that God is holy, that God cannot lie, that God cannot deny God's own nature? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, even if we are faithless, God remains faithful for God cannot disown himself. Even if I don't obey and don't trust, God remains faithful because God won't disown God's self. Most of you know I grew up down south. Um, I am an unsweet tea drinker though. But I grew up down south and we were poor. 
We ate lots of things most people wouldn't want to eat. Now, I always get this question, Joey, so I'm going to go ahead and answer it in the open. Do you mean squirrel? I mean we ate squirrel sometimes. But I'm going to be honest, we weren't great hunters. No one in my family is a great hunter. So we didn't eat a lot of squirrel. So, so, but yes, I've had it. As a matter of fact, at the family reunion, we, we had to make a rule that if you were bringing something with squirrel in it, you had to mark it with a sign. This is Chattanooga, Tennessee, y'all. You had to mark it with a sign that said this has squirrel in it so that people who didn't want squirrel, it's high in cholesterol, people who didn't want squirrel didn't eat it, not knowing that it was squirrel. So yeah, that, possible, all that, yes. Yes to all of that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about vegetables. Now, we ate lots of vegetables, and I love vegetables. Black-eyed peas, yes. Turnip greens, mustard greens, collard greens, cabbage, lima beans, okra, all of it. Now, my taste buds have changed over time, so that now I like what I'm going to be talking about. But when I was a child, in spite of liking all of that, I didn't like spinach. I, I didn't like it. It was a little too slimy. You said all that uh, okra? Yeah, I know. And, and Cohen, as a general rule, I don't eat anything slicker than me. Right? And that spinach was just a little too slick. I was like, no, thank you. That's not what I want. And so I, I let it be known pretty wide. I don't like spinach. My folks knew I didn't like spinach. Now, most kids won't eat anything green. That wasn't me. I was a green-eating machine. I just didn't like spinach. So fix anything other than spinach. I made a simple request that we don't have spinach. But every now and then... We'd come to the dinner table, and there on my plate, these people said they loved me. These people said they wanted what was good for me, but they, they put spinach on my plate. And I was looking at my plate. Then I would look at my dad, mean mugging. And he said, what's the matter? He knows what the matter is. We've talked about this. And I said, dad, I don't like spinach. He could fix me whatever he wanted to fix. And he chose to put this on my plate. I complained and finally he stopped and said, son, it's on your plate because it's good for you. And I know you don't like it, but it's good for you. And I put it there because it'll help you to get stronger and healthier. It's going to help you grow. That's why it's there. Your heavenly Father knows what is good for you, what will help you grow, what will make you healthier, what will make you stronger. And even though when you look at your plate of your life and say, I don't like this, 
Your father looks at you and says, I know you don't, and I don't always give it to you, but sometimes it's going to be on your plate because I know what's good for you. Do you trust God? Because God will not, cannot sin against you. Do you trust that your father loves you even when it doesn't taste good? Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. I'm going to ask these folks a few questions. This one's the softball question for a room full of church people. Is God perfect? Pretty pretty softball type of question. We didn't get quite the exuberant response I would have expected from a room full of church people. I don't know if y'all have been doubting God recently. That's okay. Is God perfect? Yes. Was God perfect? Yes. Will God be perfect? Yes. Good, 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 good. Now that's really important because if God is perfect and God will be perfect and God was perfect, then guess what? God was perfect when God made you. God was perfect, without mistake, without flaw, without any impurity. God was completely perfect when God made you. And it's hard for us to believe, but you need to understand you are some of God's best work. That God was righteous, holy, and perfect, taking no shortcuts, making no mistakes when you were made. And the beginning of trusting God might be knowing that God created you perfectly. That your heart and your life are in the center of a righteous God's hand. And that God is for you, not against you. You were created to trust God with your life, with your plans, and with your purpose. And now, mighty warrior, God is calling you. How will you answer? Trusting God means giving God a yes. God is calling you. Will you give him a yes? Let's stand and sing together. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.